This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nutshell Politics. I'm your charming host, Justin Kinney, and I am excited to be here with you guys for another current events episode. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the last few episodes, I would recommend you go do that. I actually put together a double episode last week in celebration of hitting my 1,000th total download. Downloads still continue to creep upwards, so I'm really excited about that. Please continue to spread the word, tell your friends, and I really appreciate that. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is a mysterious vanishment case that took place in the country of Turkey, and it was a man by the name of Jamal Khashoggi. Now, Jamal Khashoggi is a Saudi Arabian journalist. He's also an author, and probably most notably for this, he's been very critical of the Saudi Arabian government. He actually fled Saudi Arabia in September of last year, 2017, and he's written several newspaper articles that have been critical of the Saudi government. In particular, he's been very critical of the the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, and the king of Saudi Arabia, King Salman. But what's been most notable about him lately is that he vanished about two weeks ago, a little bit less than. Uh, he disappeared on October the 2nd. He was last seen in Turkey, in Istanbul, going into the Saudi Arabian consulate there. Now, the Turkish government has come out and basically accused the Saudis of murdering and dis- actually dismembering Khashoggi inside the consulate. Now, the Saudi government says no way, Khashoggi left alive, although he went out the back door, but Turkey has really come out pretty strong claiming that the Saudis have murdered this journalist and that they did so because of how critical he's been of their government. But before we go into a little bit about the actual event of the vanishing, let's talk a little bit about what we know about Khashoggi and kind of his, his career and kind of how he got to this point. So Khashoggi actually worked as a correspondent for the Saudi Gazette back in the 80s. Uh, He's been a reporter on and off for various newspapers uh, into the 90s, and he became a a foreign correspondent at this time as well. And So he was serving in different countries, mostly across the Middle East. Uh, It's also thought that he worked uh, with the Saudi intelligence agency at some point, and and of note, he became the editor-in-chief of a daily paper called Al-Watan. This is a, a Saudi Arabian newspaper, and this was in 2003. But he only lasted about two months in this position and got fired by the Saudi Minister of Information because he essentially allowed a columnist to come out and criticize uh, a famous Islamic scholar, the, the man who's actually considered the founding father of Wahhabism. Now, the Wahhabism is the official religion of Saudi Arabia, uh, and it's a movement kind of within Islam that has been very much at odds with other groups in the area, particularly the Muslim Brotherhood. But this essentially got Khashoggi labeled as uh, a a liberal progressive within Islam. Now, that does not necessarily mean the same thing that we think of liberal progressive here in the United States, but that was kind of the reputation he gained in Saudi Arabia. 
Now, after he got fired from this paper, he moved, he went to London for a little while, but eventually he actually gets invited back and he becomes the editor-in-chief for this same paper a second time. Again, he ends up getting fired a couple years after that because there was a column that was posted in the paper that basically challenging some of the religious premises that uh, the Saudi government adheres to. And in particular, it was critical, uh, this article as well as other articles were critical of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia's very harsh religious Islamic rules. Now, since that point, he's kind of bounced around uh, to various papers. Uh, he actually wrote for the Washington Post and continued to do so up until, I believe his last column was in April of 2018. But his entire journalism career, he's probably most famous for his... I don't want to call it friendship, but a relationship that he had with Osama bin Laden. He actually became he actually came to know Osama bin Laden through the 80s and the 90s and interviewed him on multiple occasions. And now, if you don't know, Osama bin Laden is actually Saudi originally as well, but he was banned from the country for some of his activities. And so it's thought during this time period that Khashoggi was being used by the Saudi intelligence services to try to persuade bin Laden to kind of make peace with, with the government, with the state, and to try to kind of come back into the fold, maybe even to quit violence entirely. But after the 9-11 terror attacks, Khashoggi really backed away from bin Laden uh, and completely kind of dissociated himself. But this relationship that he had with him through the 80s and 90s is particularly interesting. Now, to provide a little bit of context here, I want to talk a bit about Saudi Arabia in terms of their freedom of the press that they have there. Saudi Arabia is known for censoring a lot of this stuff. Uh, and if you look at organizations like Reporters Without Borders or the Freedom House, they frequently will rank Saudi Arabia quite low on their list of freedom of the press. I believe the last report, uh, Reporters Without Borders account that came out ranked Saudi Arabia 164th out of 180 countries that they had listed. Freedom House gives them a score of 86 out of 100, which is quite low. 100 would be the absolute worst. Actually, uh, I want to go ahead and throw out uh, a little plug here. If, if you haven't used Freedom House before, they're really good on some of these freedom issues. They rank things like freedom of the press, legal environment, political environment, freedom on the internet, and they can rank them based around the world. And they've looked at a lot of these different countries, and they usually provide some pretty solid evidence for their claims. And frequently, the Freedom House gets used in political science a lot as well. So if you're ever looking for numbers to try to back these things up or to see how a country ranks in the world on some of these freedom issues, you know, economic freedom or political or press or whatever, Freedom House is a good place to look. But both them and Reporters Without Borders, as well as quite a few others, frequently talk about Saudi Arabia as being near the bottom in the world in terms of their freedom of the press specifically. And a lot of this comes from the way that they control internet traffic in Saudi Arabia. They actually use a, a single proxy farm that they direct all international internet traffic through. And so there's a content filter that gets placed on this that blocks a lot of sites, restricts what their citizens are able to access. And they've actually run into some problems with some of these big internet companies over the years as well. Back in 2006, the Saudi government blocked access to Wikipedia. Uh, they blocked access to Google Translate at one point. They also have some low scores on freedom of speech. There have been quite a few types of speeches, public demonstrations in Saudi Arabia. If it's anything that's deemed to be immoral or critical towards the government, especially the royal family or towards their religion, it can lead to jail time. So they have a fairly strict censorship issue that's taking place there. We've seen this take place in other forms as well, film and television. Uh, they actually didn't have movie theaters for quite a while. It's very rare for any sort of outside film to be let in. Actually, if you were paying attention to any of the news in the last year, 
we saw public cinemas just recently become re-legalized. They actually became illegal in the 1980s because some of their religious clerics essentially claimed that, that movie theaters were a waste of time and were corrupting of the people. And so they were taken out, uh, but they were recently added back in just in the last I don't know, six months or so. But even with that slight concession, Saudi Arabia is considered to have one of the most censored media environments in the entire world because a lot of their mass media in particular is under the control of government. They either pass it through censors before it gets to the air or gets to print. And while even though some of the press is privately owned, the editor-in-chief of all of their newspapers are appointed by the government. And so there are some uh, pretty hefty restrictions on things like that. It's a very tightly controlled media environment there. Now, that doesn't mean that the Saudi people are necessarily cut off from the outside world. While it is technically illegal to own a satellite dish in the country of Saudi Arabia, there are a lot of people, a lot of the average citizens who still have them. The government doesn't really enforce that rule. And so satellite signals have become quite popular. And if you look at you know pretty much any city in Saudi Arabia, any major city, you see these satellite dishes you know, all over the rooftops. So that's, that's largely where Saudis get any sort of uncensored news and entertainment. And as long as it's not like pornographic or especially critical of the government or of Islam, the Saudi government largely doesn't prosecute for that. But with all that background in place, let's talk about what we actually know about Jamal Khashoggi and his day of disappearance. So as I said, prominent Saudi journalist, he's kind of a, a self-exiled critic of the, the government there. So he walks into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul on the 2nd of October, and this is, this is not the first time he's been to the consulate. He had been there a few days previously, and they, they basically told him to come back the next week. So he's coming to the consulate on orders from officials there. And the reason he is there is he is looking to divorce or to get a divorce from his previous wife. When he fled the country in 2017, he left behind a wife, and he wants to now divorce her so that he can legally marry his new fiance, who is a, a Turkish woman. So he goes to this embassy or consulate looking for the, the right document so that he can officially get this divorce processed. Now, also around this same time frame, Khashoggi has apparently told some people that uh, the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, has reached out to him to ask him to come back to Saudi Arabia to become an advisor for the regime. And Khashoggi rejected that. Uh, that's being a report that's out there. But he still seems somewhat wary about this visit. Uh, he leaves his phones with his with his fiance. He tells her that if anything, uh, or that if he doesn't come back out, he that she needs to contact uh, the Turkish authorities. So he does seem a little bit suspicious that something might might happen to him. And of course, he doesn't come back out. So his fiance calls the Turkish authorities and she, along with some friends, colleagues, they've got some human rights groups in on this, the Turkish government, basically accused the Saudis of kidnapping him. But Saudi Arabia is completely denying that they abducted or detained him. And Mohammed bin Salman himself, that crown prince in Saudi Arabia, has personally claimed that Khashoggi left the consulate under his own free will. And they basically argue that he left out the back door, more or less. Now, the Saudis have not provided any sort of evidence of this. There's no security cam footage. And there's no sort of credible theories out there for what, what happened to him, if that is what you know officially occurred. You know, where is he? There's not a whole lot about that. So Turkish authorities have kind of opened an investigation into this incident. And they have actually gone so far now as to claim that they have strong evidence. Uh, you might even call it proof of a sort that's audio and video 
that Jamal Khashoggi was killed and dismembered, potentially even tortured. Now, they have been very, very coy about how they got this information. It's thought that maybe they listened in on some phones that they had tapped or even potentially that they had tapped the the Saudi embassy itself, which would be a, a huge violation of international rules. But they're basically claiming that however they came across this, they have audio and video proof of his, his torture and his death. Now, the Saudis have allowed reporters to come into the consulate to tour it. They did this uh, just this past Saturday, I believe, or maybe it was two, I guess it was two Saturdays ago now. And their whole purpose was to try to prove that Khashoggi was not there anymore. Uh, but during this time, or during this interview, it's actually on film, you can watch this. The Saudi individual who's leading him around looks a little bit nervous. He seems to act a bit nervous. And they make some odd claims. For instance, they claim their security cameras only do live video, which is kind of an odd thing, if true. That's be very, very uncommon. They basically said there's no sort of recording of any of these feeds. It'd be very unusual, uh, theoretically possible, but but very unusual. So there are some real questions kind of on, on both sides here because the Turkish authorities have not released any of their information that they claim they have. Uh, they have no real evidence for anything either other than that he seems to have actually disappeared. But the Saudis don't exactly have a whole lot on their side either. And so there's a, there's a lot here that's kind of up in the air. We've also actually seen some Turkish officials kind of waver on their reports here. Initially, back on the October 7th, the Turkish officials, they pledged to actually release evidence that Khashoggi had been killed. And they claimed that, you know, they believed he'd been killed in the consulate. They actually accused Saudi Arabia of bringing in like a 15-member assassination team for the operation. And they had all of these, these theories, you know, that Turkish staff in the embassy were told to take a holiday, take a vacation on that day while Khashoggi was there. But a few days after this, I believe it was October 10th, they have an advisor who went on record basically saying that the Saudi state is is not being blamed. So there are some some questions as to why that is, if they really believe that, if there was some miscommunication, if this is Turkey trying not to mess up some of their, their trade ties to Saudi Arabia, which are quite lucrative, and this is a regional relationship that they, they kind of need. There's also been some question about Khashoggi's Apple Watch, of all things. They, they believe that his Apple Watch could have recorded some things or transmitted data from the watch to his phone, which he left with his fiance, as I mentioned, outside. But to be honest, that's probably quite unlikely. Unlike the, the iPhone, Apple has basically come out and said that the Apple Watch does not work because the Apple Watch won't roam outside the user's carrier network. Because unlike the iPhone, the Apple Watch doesn't have any model that supports, you know, its global use. Now, that said, there are some third-party apps that can record audio, and even without a data connection, it's theoretically possible to transmit audio back to the iPhone through like a Bluetooth connection or something to that effect. But that sort of transmission system usually only has a very short range. So it's probably very unlikely that that's uh, a source of any real, real information, which means that if any sort of audio recordings do exist or video recordings like Turkey claims they have, that means that the Turks almost certainly have the Saudi consulate wired or have tapped other members' phones of, of the diplomats. And uh, honestly, I, I think this probably makes the most sense. You know, Turkey is kind of known, they don't really trust diplomats. It's thought that they have probably recording equipment in a lot of other critical embassies that are in Istanbul, 
or within Turkey. So even outside the issue of this particular disappearance of Khashoggi, it is quite possible that Turkey does have some sort of recording devices within the Saudi embassy, as well as other embassies too, uh, that would fit well with what we know about Turkey and, and their kind of security operations. Now, the Turks are not ever really going to admit that, but that would potentially explain how they have audio and video, but also explain why they're not really willing to talk about where they got it from or to apparently to release those tapes either. But what it kind of comes down to is this is a, a very tricky situation where there's not a lot of evidence on either side, apparently, and neither government has really a, a great reputation on the world stage of being able to be trusted on these sorts of things. Uh, Erdogan in Turkey. I actually did an entire episode on Erdogan. This has probably been a couple months ago now, but we talked about how this is becoming an increasingly autocratic government. He's really leaving behind a lot of these democratic ideals and shifting more and more towards autocracy. And he himself is becoming more and more of an autocratic type leader. And so this is not exactly one of the most credible sources when it comes to investigating. Uh, Erdogan is actually the world's number one jailer of journalists in and of itself. So Turkey is not exactly ho holding any sort of moral high ground here when it comes to, to journalists and doesn't give them a ton of credibility when they are criticizing others of this. On the other hand, as I mentioned, Saudi Arabia is not exactly well known for being open to freedom of the press either. There's been a lot of hostility towards critical journalists, even political activists. And so both of these regimes have kind of a history of cracking down on political opponents, cracking down on journalists that are critical of their, of their leadership. And further to Turkey and Saudi Arabia have a bit of a rivalry. We've seen Erdogan and Mohammed bin Salman take kind of public shots at each other uh, in the last few years because Turkey is a supporter, Erdogan in particular is a supporter of Qatar, who is one of Saudi Arabia's chief or main rivals in that entire region. And so there's a kind of a big rift that's opened up between these two Middle Eastern powers. And they've been very critical of each other, too. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman actually claimed that Turkey is part of what he called the Triangle of Evil, uh, along with Iran and Islamic terrorists. And so there is certainly some potential here that both sides are trying to make the other look bad. Um, so some people have actually wondered if Turkey is kind of throwing this murder story, this dismemberment and murder and kidnapping story out there in order to criticize and make the Saudi government look bad. There's also some thought that the Saudis are deliberately doing this to make the Turkish authorities look look bad too, to embarrass Erdogan, that um, Khashoggi will eventually reappear and it's going to embarrass him on, on kind of a global stage. And the story gets even more and more twisted as you look further into it. Khashoggi's fiance at one point claimed that she believed he was still alive, but Khashoggi's son claims he has no knowledge of this fiance, indicating this may be a more recent thing as well. He'd never even heard of her. Her at some point, uh, he insists this is just missing persons. He he doesn't believe that he's that his father is murdered either. And there's a ton of other like smaller, completely unsubstantiated theories claiming things like this is a false flag operation designed to uh, cast doubt on the Saudi regime, that the Muslim Brotherhood is behind this, that the fiance herself is actually the perpetrator of it. And we've actually started to see other countries get involved in this as well. The U.S. has started to respond. Saudi Arabia, as you may or may not know, is one of our big allies in the region. We have a pretty big alliance with them over economics, largely. And we've actually started to see American officials speak out. The Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, has said that he's been frustrated with the lack of response to any sort of queries about this. 
and they are closely following the situation. Uh, President Trump has actually commented on it as well. Uh, he said that he's concerned. He is hoping to hear or to see the video and audio evidence very soon. But the reason the U.S. is starting to get involved here is because there's a lot at stake over this issue. This whole Khashoggi issue puts the United States in kind of a difficult position. As I mentioned, Saudi Arabia is one of our allies. It's a strategic ally. It's, a, it's an economic ally. But there's also some personal relationships here with Trump, some business relationships that he has with the Saudis, as well as uh, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. And so Mohammed bin Salman has actually spoken to Kushner directly. He's spoken to John Bolton. He's spoken to Mike Pompeo. There's some personal ties here, governmental ties, alliance ties. And so it's putting the U.S. in kind of a difficult position. And so there is some risk here that if something comes out and Saudi Arabia is culpable in any sort of way, there are possible political ramifications for this. Uh, we actually had a bipartisan letter that came out of Congress urging President Trump to do something about this, saying that they believed the Saudi government had, had murdered this man. And so there's the possibility of sanctions that could come down from the president or from the government in general or potentially other ramifications too. Saudi Arabia has started to see other ramifications uh, from other countries and other groups as well. There's actually a pretty big investment summit that was supposed to take place in a few weeks in Riyadh, and a lot of news outlets have started to pull out of this, uh, including Japanese companies, New York Times, the Financial Times, CNBC, uh, CNN actually just recently pulled out as well, uh, Viacom, and these are a lot of sponsors of the, this was called the Saudi Future Investment Initiative. And so we're starting to see some other types of economic and political ramifications crop up, even without any real proof one way or the other. Now, one of the, the concerns here with the United States being involved is that the U.S. Has not, does not actually have an ambassador to Turkey. We don't have our normal representative in the country to help take on whatever important role they would. Uh, now, that's not because we're, we don't have one in general. It's because the Trump administration hasn't named an ambassador to Turkey yet. And so this is something that's probably coming back to bite us a little bit by not having an official representative in the country that can help handle some of this. And further, too, the United States doesn't exactly have the best relationship with Turkey right now. The two countries have been at odds ever since we doubled tariffs on the country about a month or so ago. Uh, there was this issue actually just just resolved in the last couple days or so that Turkey had an American pastor in prison who had been held captive there for almost two years. Uh, and this was a, a man by the name of Andrew Brunson. And so this is a, a pastor who's been held captive for something like two years on the grounds that he was involved in that failed coup against President Erdogan in Turkey back in 2016. And so if you've been following the news at all, you know he was just recently released and Trump had a fair amount to do with that apparently. But this means that at least up until this last couple of days, our relationship with Turkey has not been very good here in the United States. Whereas with the Saudi government, we have a much stronger relationship. Uh, we actually just signed a, uh, just last year, we signed a, a $100 billion deal to sell weapons to the regime which is the largest ever arms deal between the two nations. But as Congress seems to be getting on board with this idea that the Saudi government may have something to do with Khashoggi's death, you know, if it comes out that the Saudis really were involved, this would really come as a pretty big slap in the face to the United States as well, who have 
been, like I said, friends with the Saudis. We've actually kind of welcomed this crown prince. He's been seen in the West in particular as being a more progressive reformer. He's been behind a lot of these recent reforms with the movie theaters, uh, women starting to drive in Saudi Arabia, those type of things. And so if, if it comes out that Saudi Arabia did have something to do with this, that would be a pretty big step back. And it would make the U.S. look kind of silly, too, because of how our, our relationship with the Saudis has been over the last few years. But the truth is, with all of this, is that there's not much evidence on either side. I've kind of mentioned this. And while a lot of people do believe one way or the other, this would be a pretty big sign of aggression from the Saudi government. And would really cement Saudi Arabia's status as one of the more aggressive countries in the world on these sorts of things. It brings to mind... You know, some of the things you've seen out of Russia and President Putin with assassinations in foreign countries. And so it would really put Saudi Arabia in a different light on the world stage, especially in kind of light of their recent social reforms that have taken place. Now, granted, these social reforms are, are limited. They're not huge steps forward. But, you know, in political terms, you know, these, these reforms do send signals. Now, unfortunately, I don't exactly have a great resolution to this, this episode or to this story. As I said, it's still kind of unfolding at this point, and we'll, I'm sure we'll learn a lot more in the upcoming weeks, but it has a lot of implications for the world, whether you know, Saudi Arabia is lying or whether Turkey is lying, because that would send massive signals for what their motivations are going forward for the region in the Middle East, but also for their aspirations on a global stage, and it could have some pretty hefty consequences for alliances, especially as the United States is getting involved here because of our past with both Turkey and Saudi Arabia. But unfortunately, I'm not able to give much of a conclusion to this quite yet. Hopefully, we'll be able to revisit this in a week or two when we have more information. But until that time, I'm going to go ahead and close out the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in today. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. Follow me there, and we can continue the conversation. You can also find me on Facebook at J. Robert Kinney. It's the name I write fiction novels under. Please check out my first novel. It's on Amazon. It's called Precipice. And I should have a second book coming out in uh, about a month or so. And I will let you know when that happens as well, so you can check that out too. If you are interested in supporting me, supporting this podcast, or advertising on the podcast in any form, please contact me. You can also find my Patreon account. But either way, I will be happy to talk with you further about that possibility. So until next time, my name is Justin Kinney. This is Nutshell Politics, and I'm out in three, two, one.